Hi, this is Jill Harrison, Executive Director of the National Institute on Aging Impact Collaboratory at Brown University. Welcome to the Impact Collaboratory Grand Rounds podcast. We're here to give you some extra time with our speakers and ask them the interesting questions that you want to hear most. If you haven't already, we hope you'll watch the full Grand Rounds webinar recording to learn more. All of the companion Grand Rounds content can be found at impactcollaboratory.org. Thanks for joining. Hi, I'm Susan Mitchell, one of the PIs of the Impact Collaboratory, and today I have the pleasure of hosting a podcast with Dr. Shannon Wiltsey Sturman, who's an associate professor in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at Stanford University, and recently gave a grand rounds at Impact uh, entitled Adaptation of Behavioral Interventions and Frame. I really enjoyed your grand rounds. Thank you. Yeah, it was, it was fun to do. It was really a nice group to talk with and to hear a little bit about what people are working on and, and what they're trying to adapt and use the frame for. Yeah, it, we, we use it all the time in Impact. As I, as I mentioned at the Grand Rounds, it's actually one of the key guidance materials that we give to our pilot applications because so many of them include some form of adaptation of their interventions that they're proposing to pilot test for a pragmatic trial. And actually, one thing that comes up over and over again and you definitely touched on this in your talk, but maybe we can just chat about it a little bit more, is that, you know, it's the question is how much adaptation is too much adaptation in the sense that we're all familiar with the NIH stage model and we at IMPACT are looking at pilot studies and demonstration projects for stage four effectiveness trials or pragmatic trials. And as I mentioned, a lot of these studies are coming to us with some level of adaptation. And we talk a lot with our NIA project scientist, Dr. Lisa Onkin, about, you know, how much is adaptation that we can kind of live with for the funding mechanisms? Or how much is it so adapted that really the best course of action for the investigators go back to more of a stage one or two work to see if their adaptations are efficacious? Any guideposts at all for us about how much adaptation is too much adaptation and how much could we live with within this paradigm? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a good question. And, and you're touching on exactly what the challenges are with it. I think that some of what can be useful to help guide decisions around that is thinking about the form versus function distinction if you have a fidelity measure and you have what are thought to be the unique and essential items or elements of the intervention, it can be good to, to check in with your adapted form and see if you are still sort of hitting all of those elements, if not in the exact form, then in terms of the function. A really simple example I give is around providing education. And that can be done in lots of different ways. Maybe in the original protocols, it was done through a discussion between the provider and the patient or the patient's family. But you might need to move it to something where maybe a different provider does it. Maybe it's done by watching a video together and discussing, or it's a pamphlet that people read, and then they're just asked if they have any questions. But if the key element is accomplished in some way, then we would say that that fits. I think it gets a little bit trickier if the form starts moving so far away that people wouldn't recognize that it's actually performing that function, if that makes sense. So the form and function distinction, I think, can be helpful in terms of thinking about, are these key elements represented in some way and at a, a reasonable enough intensity that people would recognize it's happening? Using the fidelity tools and guidance that you have but, you know, considering whether different elements might need to take a different form 
can be really helpful. And and then if all of the elements are represented at a dose that, you know, approximates what was in the original intervention, or if you have a strong rationale for having more or less of it, but it's there, you can consider that. But I also think that it's really important to measure and document what's happening with the fidelity when you're actually doing it and look at your outcomes. Because in some ways, even if we a priori say, we don't think this has gone too far, we, we still recognize it as the intervention. If it's not effective when you do it, you're of course going to look at, is it because it was too far, you know, too heavily adapted because it's not a good fit with this population because there's something else that we haven't measured or identified going on. But leading up to getting your outcomes, I, I think we, we have to be thinking about fidelity, at least to the key functions to guide us in whether we're going too far or not. So maybe I'll get a concrete example of something we typically get. We do get a lot of applications wanting to evaluate deprescribing interventions. And often these deprescribing interventions were initially tested in older patients, sort of mixed population of older patients. And now they want to try the deprescribing intervention specifically among people living with dementia. So we're going from a general population of older people to people living with dementia. They'll modify it some materials, they may actually modify who gets the intervention, like it could be directed this time to the care partner instead of the patient themselves. So the function's the same, but it's actually implemented quite a bit differently in the population with dementia because now you're giving it to the care partners. How would you think about that example? I mean, it sounds like at least the way we categorize in the frame, the recipient population would be somewhat different. And so you might need to adapt how you talk about it, how you provide the rationale. It would help to kind of know some of the steps involved in doing that. But yeah, you might need to adapt because your population's different, right? They might be younger. They might have, you know, other considerations and questions and concerns. But I think if, if the function is the same, Right. And if in some ways you're providing the rationale, you're, you're taking the steps, but you're doing it with someone different, then it's an adapted form of the intervention. And you probably want to represent that in the way you talked about it. Right. You wouldn't want to just say we implemented the blank intervention for deprescribing. You'd want to say, you know, and it was adapted for caregivers and, and describe it well enough so people could, could understand how it was adapted the, the sort of translational stage is a good question. I think you'd still say it was, it was, you know, further out along the spectrum because you already had data. You're just sort of turning it in a little bit of a different place. You do still have to see if it works in that context. And, um, but I think, you know, if you could recognize that it was basically the same set of steps and basically the same, you know, the same functions, just involving the caregivers more, you could say that that was, well, quote, the same intervention adapted for a somewhat different population. I, you know, I have the hat on to say, you need to go back. You go back to stage two and see if this could work in, you know, efficacy wise in pair partners. And then if it does, you know, come back and think about a pragmatic trial. It makes perfect sense why you want to do the earlier stages. But when you have some sense that something can work and you don't want to delay and ultimately it's going to be deployed in these more uncontrolled contexts, testing it under under the best of circumstances with the two year delay, it, it kind of asks the question of great, if we know we can do it under these best of circumstances now we still have to take it out into the less ideal circumstances, the more challenging set of circumstances. That's super interesting. And we wrestle with this question all the time. My next sort of question, similar but different, we're, we are very focused on health equity at impact. And 
again, not infrequently, we get pilot studies that are adapting an intervention that perhaps was used in a cohort of people living with dementia, and now they want to use a particular intervention in, let's say, a Latino population or some other um, minoritized population. And so, again, we're talking about adaptations. And can you just give us some thoughts about adapting along health equity lines? And really, do we just think about it the same way, or are there some special ways we should be thinking about it? I think in some ways you you think about it in the same way, but I think that what becomes really important is to make sure, you know, anytime we adapt, we don't want to just assume that we're going to have to adapt because it's going somewhere new or to, you know, to a different population. We want to have some understanding of what would make us need to adapt, which means that you need to have involvement of the community of, you know, representative, recipients, family members, et cetera, so that you can really understand what what wouldn't work here the way it's been, you know, the way it was originally designed. What would we need to change and why? Having that input, I think, is really essential. So we don't make a lot of assumptions so we get it right. That's really true in, I think, in any context that you work. But I think it's it's also really important because the people that you're working with, it's important that they understand that it really was designed with and for them in this new iteration and not something that's just sort of being dropped. That process of understanding becomes really important, I think, in making sure that people don't dismiss it out of hand, making sure that people understand that it really is and is intended for them. And that they were heard in terms of what might be important to adapt in terms of fitting better with the culture, with the context, with their needs, with constraints, so that they're not being asked to do things that are unrealistic or things that just sort of run counter to the way things are typically done in their community. That makes a lot of sense. So my last question really is getting a little bit away from the specific science, but talking about your investigators should think about their their research team and any recommendations or again, sort of guideposts or thoughts about, you know, when do you involve uh, implementation scientists, experts such as yourself on the research team? Or when is it sort of enough to just go to the literature? And, and I mean, do you think an, uh, an implementation scientist expert should be on any sort of EPCT that's testing an intervention in the real world, particularly if there's adaptations? You know, some of it will depend on the questions that the grant is asking. I think there are times when actually someone with a lot of experience implementing who has some background in implementation science, but I mean, I think there's value in having an implementation practitioner, so to speak, available, even if they haven't been on lots and lots of grants, you know, if they've got a deep set of experiences and and sort of have an understanding of, of implementation in the literature. If what you're trying to do is implement something and and look at effectiveness, if you're doing a study where implementation science outcomes aren't critical outcomes, you, you might be okay. I think that designing and piloting with some input from someone who's has some expertise in implementation can be really important so that you can hopefully head off some of the the challenges that you might run into later, like making your you know fidelity assessment strategy too burdensome or doing something that just couldn't possibly work within the constraints of the the healthcare system. But in, in that context, you also need you know you need your partners input. So sometimes the implementation scientist can be helping you think about the questions you need to be asking or what you need to be doing in your needs assessment. It depends the extent of of involvement or whether you need involvement at all. 
probably has more to do with the questions you're asking in your research. But if you're ever intending to get it out into routine care settings or to the community, I think it can be a good idea so that you can make sure that you're designing your research and designing the intervention and your implementation assessments in a way that'll be feasible and likely to not need lots of adaptation down the road. I've really come to appreciate the expertise I I received from my implementation science colleagues, and we are fortunate to have a great group of implementation scientists in impact. And we really appreciate everything. We really also appreciate your contributions to the field, which I think has helped uh, make our impact projects better and also helped us be able to guide our investigators in a more thoughtful, rigorous way around implementation, implementation adaptation. So thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you all for the work that you're doing. It's fantastic to see the work that's coming out and the work that everyone's focusing on. It's a super important area. So thanks for the work you all do as well. Thank you for listening to today's Impact Laboratory Grand Rounds podcast. Please be on the lookout for our next Grand Rounds and podcast next month.